I got in the habit of just kind of releasing stuff, I talk about it, put it out there. I like the open source side where it's just kind of a community of people trying weird stuff, seeing what sticks. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. Welcome, Ben Johnson, to the show. We are excited to continue our SQLite frenzy with, you know, I don't know if the king is SQLite, but certainly <laughs> part of the royal family here. We did just record Requelite, and then we did Terso like a month ago or more. He'll just be a SQLite podcast going forward. I, I don't know whether to call this a light stream episode or a light FS episode, but it is a light SQL light episode. Usually I have you start by telling us what the projects are, kind of a, a, an elevator pitch, so to speak, to ground the conversation. You could you could start with one or the other or, or however you want to do that. Yeah, sure. I mean, Lightstream probably makes the most sense. That's kind of the first one I started on. So like Lightstream, the idea of it is it's meant to be disaster recovery, essentially, for SQLite. So like usually when you run SQLite, it just runs in a single box and you know, you could do backups every hour, but really what you want is like, you don't want to lose almost any data. So what Lightstream does is it, it takes advantage of the fact that S3 is super cheap to upload to, but expensive to download from. <laughs> and it just does like a streaming replication every second to S3 of incremental changes. And then, you know, if your, your server crashes or just blows up, then you can actually just download up to, you know, a second or two from your disaster essentially and recover all your data. So that's the elevator pitch for Lightstream. And there's like a million ways we could take that intro, but just to noodle on one thing, SQLite, I think for a lot of people, they imagine it in the browser or kind of on a local device. Is is that is that the typical place where people are backing up their SQLite from? Or is this meant for like a server-side SQLite? Yeah, like I really want to make server-side SQLite work. So like my, my background the last maybe decade or so is just in databases. I run another one, a database called Bolt DV. It's a it's a pretty popular, you know, go key value store. I really tried to make like an application stack essentially on Bolt to see if I could make like a key value store work for like a main storage. It worked in a lot of ways, but like you really start to miss like schemas and indexes and like those nice little things you get from SQL databases. So the next step is kind of like looking at what is out there for kind of like a SQL based database. And really SQLite is kind of like the main one out there. It just kind of runs on everything and is rock solid. So I kind of transitioned over to that. Actually, for the Bolt stack, I tried to make it Bolt, Go, and I think it was React, I think had just come out at the time or it was recent. So I was going to make the burger stack, which I thought was a little play in words, <laughs> BGR. Anyway, it never took off, but the marketing was was on point. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know what makes a, a stack acronym take off because there's been a lot of good ones of late, you know, that haven't quite found escape velocity. But okay, so that makes sense for why you want something that's not a key value store. So you want SQLite, but maybe now do the opposite comparison. Why why do server-side SQLite and not Postgres or or like a MySQL? Sure, yeah. By all means, like I use Postgres and MySQL and all I used to be an Oracle DBA way back in the day. And like I have nothing against like the, the client server model. I think it works in a lot of instances and there's pros to it and cons. But like once you start developing against like a local SQLite database, like it's just wicked fast to do like, you don't have uh, like the concept of like N plus one query so much. You might have like, you know, one SQL query that'll pull like a, a list of orders. And then for each order, you need to do a separate query for each of your items. 
And like you start to explode the number of queries and just the, the latency between the server and the client just kind of blows up because you have to keep doing all these round trips. And when you have SQLite, everything is just right next to it in process. And it's just orders of magnitude faster for those, you know, for that optimizing that kind of thing. And I feel like we're getting to that place where we have these, these servers that are just super beefy and cheap and have fast storage. And like the speed of light is kind of like your limiting factor when you're going between your application server and your database. So that's kind of the ideal fit. Super. And I'd like to get into your background and the background of the project. Just because we had talked about these prior episodes, maybe it's worth flashing that apparently you've worked with Philip, not only yeah. in SQLite open source land, but like you were in the same company together. And, and you've already alluded to the fact that you've got a database background. So take us through the small world that we live in. <laughs> sure. No problem. <laughs> and, um, and what motivate, you know, why, why are you working on this? Sure. Yeah. And it's weird. Like I actually, I've kind of, I started as an Oracle DBA maybe 20 years ago and then have done, I've done like Perl. I've done like JavaScript applications. I've done kind of the gamut of everything. And about like 10 years ago, I was working at this company that did behavioral analysis. So basically like log data and all kinds of interesting stuff from these, like from big companies, we just took an, and tried to ingest all their logs. And they had like this really terribly slow way of doing it where they'd ingest it into like a SQL server database and then they'd run queries. And it was just like it took like a week to process data. And what was that MapReduce thing that came out? Hadoop had like recently come out. And I was like, hey, you should guys try Hadoop. And like, I was like the data visualization guy at the time. Like I didn't even do databases. I was like, I think this would be way faster. And like, no, we're not going to do that. So after I left that company, like just like had this little like tickle in my head where like just out of spite, I wanted to see if I could go like make it faster, like what they were doing. So then I, you just go down this rabbit hole. And like when you start making things faster, like there's no end to like where you go. So I started with like, I was doing like some Redis stuff. And then I was like, ah, it's not fast enough. So I like go a little further down and I'd start writing, you know, you just like slowly start writing your own database. Like you don't mm -hmm. even need to. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually ended up like writing this kind of proof of concept of like a behavioral analytics database. It even had its own like query language and like parser and all kinds of stuff. And, but it would actually write to disk and then query stuff super fast. It's interesting the life decisions we make that like, <laughs> yeah. you know, this one little uh, curiosity kind of set the path for like the career in, in a sense. Yeah. It's like spike driven development. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like I, I started going down that road and it was really just like a side project at first. And the actual funny thing about that was that I was doing a talk at a local like database distributed systems meetup. And I gave this example of like, Hey, if you're say Shopify, and they were like kind of a new company at the time. I was like, Hey, you could like analyze how people flow through and where they drop off. It was like kind of funnel analysis you know, kind of early on back then. And you could see where people would drop off at different stages and what they would do instead. And it was just, it was an interesting way to visualize all this stuff. And like two weeks later, I get an email from somebody at Shopify. <laughs> They're like, hey, I saw this video of yours. And I ended up going out there and I ended up working with them for about a year and a half until they IPO'd. And then, um, yeah, I switched over to working with Influx Data for a bit. That's where I met Philip O'Toole, who does the, the RequelLite, SQLite, distributed SQLite implementation. And yeah, we never really, we actually don't even discuss the SQLite stuff much until recently. We just kind of own like both at our own divergent paths and just kind of met in the middle, I guess. But uh, yeah, he's a great guy. I like all the stuff he's doing. Definitely a different approach, but I like that. You know, everybody has like their own take on how to do this really like specific weird problem of distributed SQLite. <laughs> I think it's healthy, you know, for the ecosystem. I mean, there's got to be a part of you that gets a little bit of buzz out of like, oh, other people think this is interesting and want to solve it. But yeah, no, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the worst thing is, is being 
like the only project in space. Like, you're like, does anyone care about this problem? That's right. <laughs> besides me. <laughs> so I mean, it's great to see competition. And honestly, like, like my end goal would be like to make, you know, software development easier for people in whatever way that looks. And like, if someone else comes by and like, they have like some solution that's 10 times better than Lightstream or LightFS, like more power to them. I'll switch over and use it. That'd be great. Like somebody else has solved this problem where we don't have to spin up, you know, a database server and all these other things. We can just like deploy out code and not worry about it. So helpful background. You're clearly kind of curious about something. It led to a distributed data processing career and particularly maybe something about SQLite databases. But I don't know that we've gotten to Lightstream quite yet. You know, where, where are you the day of like the first commit kind of thing? Oh, sure. So Lightstream, there was more than I knew, like SQLite seemed like the way to go if you wanted like a fast embedded database. Like I really, I just, I hate all the complexity going on with like all the stacks. I get to set up a Postgres and then maybe you need some caching using Redis or whatever in your stack, you know, mem, memcache. And just like all the different components and having to set them up and like one breaks and like just debugging all that's such a nightmare that like for the majority of, you know, small to medium sized projects, I feel like they can get by on SQLite running on a half decent sized machine somewhere out there. So I think I just always like I wanted to figure out that problem. It seemed really interesting to me. And I realized that SQLite was kind of the thing I wanted to figure out. Like that seemed to be the, the main tool. But actually figuring out how to hook into that was like the, the big problem. Because they don't really give you like a great API. And I wanted to make it something where you just like, you don't have to like custom compile anything. You just plop this thing in and it just works. There's like minimal configuration. Your app, I didn't want the application to actually know about the underlying kind of ops side of it, where, you know, it could be running against a regular SQLite database or it could be running against this thing that's also uploading to S3. You shouldn't know that from like the application side. So it's really more just a bunch of iterations. And even for a while, I was like looking at like, rewriting SQLite and Go, just more to like to understand how SQLite works. I tend to like rewrite projects to like understand them. And so I was doing that for a bit. Yeah, and just one day reading through some of the docs, like Lightstream, it, it kind of like works on like a, a fluke almost. Like, so the way that SQLite works is that it does this thing called write ahead log or there's a mode that it has where it'll essentially write all your changes to a separate file called the write ahead log. And then that just depends onto that file over and over again. You know, each new page it writes, it depends onto there. And then eventually it gets too big and it needs to do a thing called checkpointing, which is where it takes all those changes and then copies them back over to the main database and it restarts that log. But the thing is with SQLite, it can't actually do that checkpointing process until it doesn't have any transactions going on. So Lightstream essentially like hooks on and does like a read-only transaction. So it's like a long living read-only transaction. So it can kind of like look at the data behind the scenes as it's getting written in, and there's some checks and things to prevent it from missing data in there. So it doesn't actually use an approved SQLite API, yeah, yeah. but it goes through like SQLite channels and all that stuff, the way you're sort of supposed to use SQLite. <laughs> you found a programming interface, just not the one they intended you to yeah, it's use. It's not official necessarily, yeah. necessarily yeah. yeah, but just how their locks work and all that. It's kind of, yeah, I just stumbled upon it one day and it tried it out and it worked, it was great. So SQLite's famous for being a single file, right? That's my database is just a file. And, yeah. And, and so this write-ahead log is a second file that's maybe hidden somewhere that's, that's kind of temporary. Yeah, yeah, essentially. And it's, it's a little bit of a misnomer. There's actually four different files you can have <laughs> SQLite database. But yeah, essentially, like you can think of it as a single file. So you create Lightstream. Did you have an ambition? I mean, I guess you were kind of excited about making this thing real. 
Yeah, I didn't really think anybody was going to take it seriously. <laughs> yeah, and and what what did, so how do you go about launching an open source project? Was this like, like your first? And what does launching SQLite look like to you? No, it's not my first. I mean, I had some decent success with BoltDB. That's right. That's right. We, I'm sorry. Yeah, that yeah. one got pretty popular, and then it eventually I eventually archived that one and um, etcd, who was CoreOS at the time before they got acquired by Linux or no by Red Hat, I think. They, they eventually took it over. But yeah, I think I've gone up and down through a couple different projects. I mean, I feel like I've started a ton of projects and like a couple of them worked. <laughs> so you can find just, it's just a graveyard of repos on my, my GitHub and like a couple that actually worked out. So I think it's just, I got in the habit of just kind of releasing stuff. I talk about it, put it out there. And I've always just had an interest in trying things out. I like the open source side where it's just kind of a community of people trying weird stuff, seeing what sticks. Mm -hmm. There's a thing called symbolic execution in computer science where like it's used for testing and or you can use it for a lot of things. You can actually like write out a program and then you can actually generate test cases for it based on, you basically like make these math equations as for each branch as it goes through your program and you feed it into like what's called a, an SMT solver. And then it can like spit out inputs that would solve all the different branches. And it was super, super weird, nerdy project. And I spent probably like six months doing a port of one of those. It was like a, it's a C program called Clee. I ported over to Go and uses, use Go's SSA format. Yeah, I spent like tons of time on it and then it just went nowhere. Like no one cared. <laughs> like probably like the most advanced project I've worked on. And like it just, yeah, fell with a thud. So yeah. So you really never know, honestly. I think it's the more accessible the project is. I think that helps a lot. Like people love SQLite, so... Like in hindsight, I think that was like a, a natural thing. Like people want to see things that they already love, kind of get additional support. And was Lightstream ever to be a startup? Eventually you kind of made your way into Fly, I think in, in relation maybe to your Lightstream work. Sure, yeah. I mean, actually, Fly actually purchased Lightstream as a project, which is kind of unique. And then I came on as well with that, obviously. And um, it wasn't ever meant to be like a startup or anything. I think I had some thoughts of like, I wanted to create a service where people could like have, make it easier for people just to be able to continuously stream backups or use, you know, SQLite in some way, but I didn't envision it as like the next billion dollar startup or anything, you know? So like I, I've tried doing startups and things in the past and they just, they fail miserably. They never get anywhere off the ground. So I've realized that's not my forte. And so yeah, there's no like big ambitions, but I think with Fly, like they they want to make things where people can run their application easily across, you know, multiple regions and whatnot, and just make things really fast for end users. And that was kind of what I liked about SQLite and kind of where I was going after Lightstream. I was trying to make some replication on Lightstream itself. And that sort of worked, but it eventually got forked off into a separate project because it just, we needed to rework a lot of things to make it work. And that's what ended up being LightFS, essentially. So Fly could have forked Lightstream, presumably. But then that would just kind of confuse the world, like why and what, and and so by buying the project, they kind of get your endorsement, and and you don't, you get to keep working on it, and there's one community, and everybody's happy. Yeah, and they do a great job. Honestly, like one of the reasons I came on is because they do support a lot of open source creators, and they're not, they're not even very flashy about it, honestly. But there's a lot of projects out there that they're like the highest donors to. So I like that side of it. Um, but yeah, I think they, I don't think they had an interest in like taking it over or like trying to be some big name around it. I think they just saw it as helping to enable their users to kind of run stuff better. So I think that was more the ethos. And honestly, like, unless you have experience in like doing database stuff, like it's not much fun to like be like on this really low level piece. Like, 
kind of what we wanted to do with the LightFS was, so Lightstream hooked in through the regular SQLite kind of transactional hooks-ish, sort of. And then LightFS takes kind of a different approach where we really wanted to make it feel like you're writing just a local Lightstream, but you wanted to be able to have those writes automatically replicated kind of instantly to your other nodes and have that all kind of work seamlessly. And you have a lot of things around like ensuring consistency, like you don't want a separate process to die and then come back and then doesn't it gets inconsistent from where the data is at. So we actually built it as a user land file system, which is a kind of a weird approach, but it can essentially intercept writes and basically check them, see where the a transaction begins and ends, and it can package those writes into a file that we then ship to the different replicas in real time. So it's much more strict in terms of consistency of like the actual file contents, whatnot. Like Lightstream did what it could with the API it had, but we really just wanted a little more control around it. So that's kind of where LightFS ended up going. Should LightFS be then thought of as like a next generation Lightstream? I think it's really more like a separate thing. Like, yeah, yeah. like Lightstream is really great if you just have a single node and you want disaster recovery. Like, Got it. That's kind of like it's, yeah, that's, that's really the aim of that. And then like the two most requested things and Lightstream were people wanted to do replicas. So essentially they had like a primary and then writes immediately go out to other nodes and then they could query off of those as well. And then the other one was having failover. So like if the primary dies, it fails over automatically to another node. And that was kind of the goal with LightFS. So it has a few more moving parts than Lightstream. Lightstream is pretty dead simple. And then LightFS, yeah, has some hooks around being able to switch what the primary is and then hook into the other replicas. So it's really more of like a replication and high availability tool than Lightstream is. And I shouldn't go here too much of a noob, but I'm going to. No, the yeah. way you describe this kind of other API that LightFS is using felt reminiscent of like people talking about using the Postgres wire protocol. This isn't a wire protocol that you're... No, no, it's not a wire protocol. Although I did rep, I did make a project that actually you can interface with SQLite databases over the Postgres wire protocol. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and uh, it sort of works. That's pretty hacky. <laughs> Don't okay. use that. What's the state of LightFS today? It's a database you can go run on the fly? Yeah, yeah. We run it internally in production. And yeah, essentially you set it up. And it's great if you need, you know, like a lot of times your biggest overhead in terms of latency is just geographic. So if you have people that are around the world, especially, you know, like a latency from like US to, I almost said here to Europe, but the US to Europe is like usually about a hundred milliseconds is kind of the ballpark. And from the US to like Asia, it's around like a, a quarter of a second, like 250 milliseconds. So if you can actually place data over there, that's right next to your application, you can just get so much faster, like response times from your web apps. So that was kind of the, the impetus of what we wanted to do. And we're just we're trying to make it as dead simple as possible. So there's not a lot of thinking about like, you don't need to be like a distributed systems expert to, to run this thing. That tends to be a problem in the distributed systems world. I was like, everyone needs a PhD to run anything. So we, I mentioned to you, we had Terso on, you know, a couple months back, you know, they, they were describing LibSQL mostly from the open source angle. And, and I should ask you about LibSQL and the kind of SQLite world later, but they also do kind of some edge SQLite things. Could you help us understand the differences or similarities between the two approaches? Sure. Yeah, no problem. This is no knock towards Terso. I think there's trade-offs for both. And honestly, sometimes I feel like people in the SQLite community should like make some some drama. Like, I don't know, like I feel like, <laughs> but we're all kind of friends. Like we're, everyone is like, oh, that's cool. And like people borrow from each other and like, it's, it's kind of fun. But yeah, Terso, like the way they've done it is they, they're still essentially a client server tool where like 
you're connecting up to another server. I mean, it's usually at an edge location. It's not in process like LightFS would be. They do have an option where you can actually embed replicas, like read-only replicas locally with your application. That's a newer feature, I believe. But yeah, they, they've kind of taken a different approach in how they hook into SQLite. They actually just forked off the project and they made a couple changes around like the write-ahead log and how they can hook into it and some different, yeah, different application hooks. So really it's not a pure SQL, SQLite approach. And that's fine. It depends on what's important. And I, I like, I like reduce the amount of friction people go through. So like if you already have SQLite running, like you don't have to install different libraries or do any kind of tweaks around that. You just plug in this thing and it should hopefully work. But again, it's a different approach. I think there's definitely benefits. Like it's a managed service. Like we can't really do a managed service with SQLite or sorry, with LightFS because they're really like running on, like in the same process more or less as the application itself. So like a managed service doesn't make a huge amount of sense. Uh, whereas with them, you know, they can connect up. They do the management of the actual servers themselves. So there's some ease of use and ease of maintenance that they get out of that. Yeah, I think I think you're you're like close to clarifying. You like answered questions that I didn't realize I had with that. <laughs> so LightFS is not a managed service because you end up just being SQLite files on local disk. It's essentially like a file system that lives on like on the same node as your application or on the same server. Right. So I have an app server, and instead of having my database over the network elsewhere, there's just files on my app server. Yeah, files on your app server, and then it has like kind of a little staging area where you can hold almost like diffs of your like every time you do a transaction, you're getting this transactional file and that can get shipped out to the other replicas. Sometimes, you know, other replicas can lag behind, they can get disconnected. So when they come back up, you want to kind of have some most recent set of those transactions. So there's kind of that staging area for those as well, if that makes sense. Maybe that's getting too far in the weeds for (laughs) database replication. Yeah, it's fine. In in the edge world, there's some of these serverless app servers, right? Where they kind of just Mm -hmm. get spun up, you know, I'm, I'm speaking the fly language a little bit, but poorly, you know, quickly process your requests and then get spun down. I believe that's how it works to some degree. So in there, my my database then is just kind of active for a moment. Like the files are there on that same little execution node. Yeah, yeah, files are there. Right now, LightFS works where it needs to have at least the primary nodes, those running all the time. They don't do well for like auto-stopping. Yep. But you can have replicas elsewhere where they can come up and they can pull in the latest data and stay up for a little bit and then shut down when they're not used. And we actually, we started doing some work on what's called a virtual file system, which is like kind of a concept inside SQLite where they actually abstract out the file system because they run on Windows and they run on Unix. And there's a layer in there. We've actually built a version that works with our, we have a managed service for just kind of disaster recovery stuff with LightFS called LightFS Cloud. We'll actually work with that and it'll pull down pages and it's kind of transactionally aware within there. So you can run it on something like Verzel, but it's still kind of alpha beta. So I paused this on the kind of, SQLite open source, LibSQL, but maybe maybe just a, you know, SQLite's apparently kind of a unique project in terms of like outside contributions. Yeah, they don't they don't allow it. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on that as someone who probably considered there was probably a point where you're like, if I could just make a contribution, this would be a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, I can see where they're coming from. I mean, I yeah. kind of disallowed contributions. I've done that on a lot of projects personally. Yeah. I think my contribution policy got on Hacker News one time. <laughs> and like I was expecting people just to like dump on it. But everyone was like, oh, yeah, I can understand that. Like, yeah, you just get, it's just draining after a while sometimes, <laughs> especially with the projects I do. I really like having an idea of what the end goal is. Like with Bolt, I get a lot of shit for, I essentially called it done at one point where like, I wasn't going to make any more like feature changes. It was kind of, this is it. And like, we'll do bug fixes and whatnot. But, you know, I really wanted like a simple project where 
you know, you don't have to worry about like constantly learning what's being added or different things. And like those features coming in might bring in bugs for other things. I just, I wanted it staple and just, you know, I had an idea of what the end goal, end goal was. So when you have outside contributions, like people always want to add more stuff. Like no one's like coming in, I don't know, trying to add more test cases or something. Like it's, it's always some like really big feature that like, oh, I think this web server belongs in your key value store or something like it's maybe not that crazy, but trying to like constrain the vision while accepting outside contributions is tough. You had this contribution policy that was basically like, don't try. And it was on Hacker News. It was kind of, like, hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like F off. And like, yeah, yeah people, look, people, I think people understand for the most part. I mean, some people get a little grumpy about it, but by and large, I think people understand and appreciate that. And so LibSQL is that, I mean, I guess, I guess you kind of answered this earlier that since you've been able to make Lightstream work with SQLite, then it's nice to be able to not have to switch libraries. And I mean, there are certainly things I'd like to probably tweak in SQLite. And I put that up there to see if they'd be open to, to changing those things. But I think by and large, I can think it works well. Like I like the actual benevolent dictator for life model of open source. Like it tends to be like one person or like two people are like the main contributors to most open source projects. And just they kind of have a sense of like where the thing is going or where it should go. And like, what are the constraints other projects kind of in their head? And trying to open that up to just everyone, I think is, I mean, I think there's pros and cons for sure. I just think it's a lot to put on people, especially for projects where you're, you're not necessarily making money off of it, or it's not your full-time job. It's just kind of like this fun thing you like to work on. <laughs> and then you just keep having people come in and trying to change it around. So it's a uh, more power to them if they're opening it up by all means. It's more of a mental health thing, I think for me. <laughs> yeah. So what's the future for Databases. I mean, I think a lot of people are building apps that are more or less the same and they reach for like the database they're familiar with. Might they benefit from just starting with LightFS? Is that the right use case for LightFS? Just kind of most new CRUD projects? I mean, honestly, I would even step back a little bit. I think you can just start with like SQLite, honestly. Like, you don't have to use my stuff at first. And I think if, you know, you start growing and you realize, you know, oh, I want to have like continuous backups. Like, Actually, on, the, on our Lightstream page, we actually have like alternatives. Like, hey, here's how you can just set up hourly cron backups. Like, you don't even have to use Lightstream. Just before you go on further, so I should just have SQLite server side sitting on my app server, as we talked about. And then once I'm like, oh, I feel a little uncomfortable, I should probably have backups. Then I can Lightstream it to get backups and then, sorry, pick up where you were. Oh, yeah. Lightstream it, as you say. I haven't used it as a verb, but that's good. But, you know, you can continuously back up your data up to S3 and it has some nice protections around it. And then if you continue to grow or maybe you have users in a different side of the world and you're like, hey, you know, this is slow over here. It would be great if I could just have a replica and replicate my data. You can use LightFS. Like there's, I think at each stage, like I really wanted to make it, you don't have to like jump in and commit to this new project from day one. It's really more like an evolution of like, hey, you have SQLite. Oh, here, you just, you can tack this thing on when you're ready for it. And then, oh, you can tack this thing on on when you're ready for it and just slowly move towards that end goal. Another enthusiasm for SQLite is around like local first. And I want a SQLite instance on my device. And then maybe it can talk to a SQLite in the cloud. And now I've got the benefits of local first and a server-side database. Is that a Ben Johnson use case? No, no, it's not. Okay. (laughs) So there's, there's kind of two separate worlds. So LightFS and Lightstream both do what are called physical replication. It basically copies the exact pages, like the bytes in the pages across the network to somewhere else. 
and they can re re you know recreate your original databases through kind of change sets. And like if you have like the local first stuff, so like CR SQLite is one that's pretty popular, where it's actually like CRDTs over SQLite. CRDT is conflict or no? I always forget this. Yeah. yeah, data type something. Anyway, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's the worst marketing name yeah. <laughs> in history, but it's a way to kind of have people changing the data in two different locations and have it sync and kind of you can figure out how they they merge together. So that's really like a separate world of SQLite. I think SQLite is probably the most popular as far as I know. I know there's another one called Mycelial. I don't know if they're still doing it, but yeah. So there's been different approaches to that. And I think local first makes sense for certain projects, but I think there's a lot of mental over Like you really need to understand how conflicts work and how all that stuff works and whether it's like actually beneficial for your use case. Cause I think there's a lot of overhead to it. Yeah. It feels like for most use case, for most applications, it's a nice to have feature and, and the implementation is quite a lift. Yes. Yes. I would agree with and, that. And most people are like, you know what? I, maybe I don't need to have that actually, <laughs> yeah, no. but for some apps, that's like a critical thing and they make it work. I don't know, but. And okay. again, more power to them. Yeah. But right. Eventually consistent stuff. Generally just most, most of the time it's just hard to do, or at least hard to do well. You get a lot of edge cases and weird, weird bugs. So that's my, I guess, warning to people. Anything eventually consistent. I think we've covered most of what I wanted to cover. Ben, anything that you feel like could be interesting that we haven't covered? I think there's a lot still around like SQLite usability on the server side, which I think can you know be improved. I'd love to see people work on that. I started like a little hack of, I saw, actually I saw somebody else kind of make a hack of this and I made my own hack of this, of connecting to SQLite over SSH. So like there's no server running on the other node, like the server node. But when you connect over SSH, you can run a program over there on the other side and then communicate over standard in, standard out with it. So it's essentially connecting out to your SQLite program on your server and then doing queries against that. But again, there's no like official like API to doing that within SQLite, like the SQLite CLI. So I'd love to see more around that. You're saying like there's like an admin interface, like I can communicate with my database through the app server. But if I want to like configure it or do some other admin type things. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you just want to do some backend queries. Yeah. I think that'd be great to see. But yeah, I think there's mainly usability, honestly, is I, I think the, the biggest hurdle. Like I, I use a lot of CLI tools, so I don't mind SSHing it into another node, but some people dislike that. So I think that can be a hurdle for sure. So if there's more, you know, kind of GUI, more usable interfaces for more people, I think that would help a lot. What is the community like around server-side SQLite, do you find that there's a bunch of people who are kind of, I've moved on from MySQL and Postgres. Like I just do, I, just as we described, I start with my server-side SQLite and then I start doing backups and then I do this, I don't know, conflict resolution, whatever it is. And they've kind of moved on. Like they don't need Postgres or MySQL anymore. I don't think they're mutually exclusive by any means. And honestly, when you like look at companies or businesses, like you have like your application, like the main one, and then you have like 20 or 30 of these like side ancillary applications of things. Oh, this thing runs and does whatever, you know, has this little UI on the side. Like it's not part of your main application that has to be up and running all the time. But like, and those can tolerate, you know, if you have to restart the server, like you don't mind, you know, getting like people not connecting to it for a second or two. So I think there's just like, there's a lot of different use cases out there. And I think SQLite can be great in a lot of different ones. But I think as, as far as like starting out, I think a lot of people are, I think they feel more comfortable using SQLite. And honestly, like for a long time, it was just kind of like the toy database that people kind of made fun of you for if you <laughs> used SQLite. But honestly, it does so much in there. You can do JSON processing, you can do 
full text search. Like you do all kinds of stuff that's just built in. So like I would say it does like 90% of what you typically need Postgres for. And then that extra 10%, a lot of times you can just get from your local application language. Yeah. And, and I guess you're pointing out that in a world of microservices, for example, you might have a bunch of small servers who do little jobs and they need a little persistent storage. And and so you slap some SQLite on them and, and you're good to go. Pretty much. I mean, as long as people feel like they can use it and it, if it works for the use, use case, I think that's great. Is there a place where SQLiters gather? You know, when you say it would be great if somebody did this SSH thing, who, who talks about that and where do they talk about it? I would say Twitter. We used to be a place. I mean, it's it's fluctuated recently, I feel like, with the, you know, the changeover to X and all that. I think whenever there's like a SQLite post on Hacker News, people gather there and they just like, people love SQLite, honestly. And then there is like a SQLite Reddit. It's not super active. There's a SQLite forum that the SQLite folks run themselves, but I wouldn't say it's a lot of SQL or like server-side SQLite people. So it's a mix. I, mean, I, th- I think Twitter kind of was the main place for a long time. And Ben, what's the, what's the future hold for you? More SQLite or or kind of what's scratching? What, what's like the current curiosity that could lead to like the next decade of, of interest for you? Oh, oh man, I, I don't know about the next decade, but I mean, I think just making application development simpler, I think is kind of what I like to focus on. And there's a lot of work that goes into just like small changes a lot of times. So I think it's just kind of getting through that and making it like it. at the end of the day, like I would love it if LightFS was really just like, a little checkbox you click and like suddenly your data is replicated and there's like nothing else you have to know about it and making those defaults of configuration or whatever things just more natural and easy to use goes a long way so yeah i think just making it an easier tool to use really super well ben i'm excited that you got curious about this years ago and then all you've given to the community and appreciate your time today cool yeah thanks for having me on eric appreciate it You can subscribe to the podcast and check out our community Slack and newsletter at contributor.fyi. If you like the show, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor. Contributor.